Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we are so excited to welcome B. Lynn to the show. We are going to talk with B today on the topic of inclusivity and why this is so important when it comes to the endometriosis community and in general. B, who is a National Community Service awardee, is also queer, non-binary, and uses they-them pronouns, and is a patient advocate and social activist for women's and feminine health and an online healthcare content creator. They serve as a regional captain of the Ambassadors Program at the Chronic Disease Coalition and helped to co-found the Endometriosis Crisis Connection, where they serve as the Executive Resource Director and Vice President of the Board of Directors. B recently spoke on the Lived Experience Panel at the Feminist Health Research Conference hosted by Medical Herstory about gender bias in medicine. They are also producing the Endotrauma podcast that will be published in fall of 2021. B has stage 4 endometriosis, adenomyosis, and they've survived cancer. With over 50,000 followers on TikTok, B is known for their parodies and their original character, the mean patient advocate. B uses this character to tell stories and spread awareness about the toxicity within the medical system, including bias against historically marginalized groups, as well as the difficulty that patients with endometriosis and other chronic illnesses face living with their diseases. B's mission is to include the patient experience in the healthcare narrative, and B does a really great job with that. We did also want to give everyone a content warning for some of the topics that we'll cover today. Some of those topics include removal of the uterus, hysterectomy, and what that could mean for pregnancy and for us as people, body dysmorphia, invasive medical procedures, discrimination, and also trauma. So we want to thank B so much for coming on the podcast today and giving us their time. Let's give B a warm welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy to have B on the show with us. B is an incredible endometriosis advocate, and we are here today to talk about inclusion within the endometriosis community. To start, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Amy, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, everyone. My name is Brittany, and my pronouns are she and they. I am so excited to be here. My name is B, and my pronouns are they, them. So we'd love to first talk about why pronouns are important and why we introduce ourselves with our pronouns and what that can mean to ourselves and other people that we're communicating with and in our communities. Absolutely. When it comes to pronouns, it's a way to identify how you would like people to call you. 
One of the problems is for trans non-binary gender non-conforming individuals is that when they put their pronouns in their profiles on social media, in emails, or in introductions on a podcast, is that they're kind of calling out that their pronouns have changed. So for example, when a cisgender individual uses their pronouns, it creates inclusivity because it makes it normal for there to be pronouns in social media profiles or discussed, whereas previously we were just seeing pronouns from people that have changed them or wanted them to be identified a certain way. And this just makes it very normal and very comfortable for everybody. I think one of the most important things to recognize in terms of inclusion is that everybody has pronouns. Pronouns aren't a political statement. They're not an identity that is only for certain people. They are not exclusive. They are not special. Everyone has pronouns. It's how we identify ourselves. It's as natural as having a name. So utilizing our pronouns, regardless of what they are, can help make it easier for folks whose pronouns may not match what society expects for them to be. And this is important as it can be sometimes unsafe for people to use pronouns that actually relate to them, or it could be scary, or it could be uncomfortable, things that are all valid because of the society that we live in. So it's important in inclusion to offer our own pronouns, specifically if we are cisgender, which means that the gender identity we hold matches the sex that we were assigned at birth. It's important for cisgender people to normalize that so that other folks feel more safe and more comfortable to talk about their own identity when we're communicating with each other. As an endometriosis advocate, I am doing a lot of work to make sure other people's truths are heard. But one of the problems is, is that we're using terms or language that not everybody is comfortable with. So as an advocate, I was saying things like, people with uteruses, but I don't even have a uterus because I had a hysterectomy because one of the comorbidities of endometriosis is adiomyosis and other reproductive issues, even though endometriosis isn't a reproductive disease. So there are individuals who might be non-binary, trans, or gender non-conforming who don't have a uterus. And it's really important that they are the people that are creating these terms and sharing their stories because when it comes to inclusion, they're the ones that we want to include. Now, I used those terms and was constantly uncomfortable, which is why representation and these conversations are really important. And I want to also build off something you said, B, which is trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming folks may not have a uterus, and so people with a uterus may not apply to them, but also people who are women may not have a uterus. So talking about specifics when we're talking about a population of people. If you mean people who menstruate, so currently menstruating, then saying people who currently menstruate, or if you mean people who have endometriosis, not saying people with a uterus, because you don't need a uterus to have endometriosis, saying people with endometriosis, being as specific as possible about the group of people we're talking about is so important because that makes sure that we don't leave out other folks who have the same experience that we're discussing, but may not have the body part we're using to talk about them, or may not have the identity that we're using to talk about them. So being as specific as possible is one of the best ways to make sure that we're including everyone and not intentionally or unintentionally leaving somebody out. For me, one of the reasons why being inclusive is so important is because firsthand, I have personally felt what it feels like to be gaslit, to be dismissed, to be 
invalidated, to be told that what I'm feeling or what I'm going through isn't real, isn't important. And that is a terrible, terrible feeling to feel unseen, to feel unheard, to feel unwelcome, unwanted, to feel like you're not enough, to feel like what you're going through doesn't matter and is not important to other people around you. And I think a lot of us in this community, because of misogyny, because of sexism, because of miseducation by doctors, because many people around us just really cannot fathom that we are in the level of pain that we say that we are in because they've never been in a level of pain that extreme. There's a number of reasons why so many of us in this community have been told that what we're going through isn't real and have been invalidated and unseen. And it's horrible. And it's traumatic. And to be honest, all of the dismissal and gaslighting is something that I'm still trying to crawl my way back from. There's so much trauma in the experience that I've lived through. And so when I think about that, and then I just think, I can't even imagine what it's like for others in this community who hold additional identities that historically have been further marginalized. And for me, that's why inclusion has become really important to me is because I want to make sure that with the communications that I'm putting out into the world, that when my fellow human beings on this earth are hearing this podcast, are seeing my Instagram posts, are interacting with me, that I don't inadvertently make them feel invalidated, that I make them feel seen, that I make them feel supported and welcomed. And I think that is especially important within the endometriosis community because we face such devastating symptoms and grief and trauma and dismissal by the medical community, loved ones. We face so much individually and collectively on a daily basis. And so for me, one of the most beautiful things about actually getting my diagnosis, because I had already been sick for 16 years. So getting a diagnosis that let me know what was going on in my body, but that let me also connect with this community, knowing what was wrong with me, finding out that I had this disease, I could go find others with this disease. And that has been so beautiful. And so I think it's really important that we make our best effort to really be inclusive to learn about what inclusivity means, to learn about language and just little ways that we can go about communicating with others and advocating about this disease that makes every single human being in this community feel seen and validated and important because we truly are all in this together. And although we have distinct and different experiences underlying them all, we all know these feelings of pain and trauma, and loneliness, and sadness, and anger, and injustice at having this disease. So on the topic of inclusivity, I want to talk a little bit about representation and why representation in our community is so important. So B, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about an experience that you may have had that you felt represented, that you felt contributed to the inclusion and you being welcomed into this space that you were in. I think it's really important to note that when individuals are facing the hardships of endometriosis, and it's in a time during your life when you're finding your identity. So when I went to the endometriosis summit, 
the first one and saw that there was LGBTQA representation on that stage, I was blown away, mainly because it validated a lot of feelings and a lot of experiences that I didn't really share with people that identified with their cisgender within the endometriosis community. For example, there are a lot of situations of body dysmorphia that I experienced, whether it be an internal sonogram or the identification of my breasts as a woman. And I didn't really know how to express that. For example, when I had started to be more of an advocate online and be more comfortable, there was a Twitter storm that I witnessed behind a wall. I had, I'm endo uncovered on Twitter. There was an organization during endometriosis month that said one in 10 people have endometriosis. And there was this Twitter storm attacking the organization for erasing the woman's narrative. A lot of people were coming forward and saying men are erasing the woman's narrative. The backlash and the outcry was they were removing the word woman from the statistic and replacing it with people. And they were feeling that men were erasing or being included in the narrative when in fact they were saying people to include individuals in the trans non-binary community because multiple people with different identities can have endometriosis. And there was a lot of confusion and anger, which gets projected onto the people that were trying to be included. That experience made me feel uncomfortable and unseen because then how do you come out to a community and say that you don't feel like you identify as a woman when I'm standing in a role model position, sharing information, sharing education, and telling individuals that you have to be a woman to have endometriosis. So having the experience at the summit to see a trans man for the purpose of the conversation say that they have endometriosis and that they are valid was so validating for me and made me feel comfortable and seen and allowed me to explore that part of my identity and the dysmorphia that I had felt for years and didn't have an outlet to talk about. I think one of the things that our community faces, specifically in terms of folks in our community that are under that trans umbrella, is the way that we look and the way that we present ourselves can sometimes be misunderstood or misconstrued or assumptions can be made about what our identity is based solely on the way that we look or the way we present. So I think a really great thing to get comfortable with, a really great concept to get comfortable with and start to understand is that no gender has a specific way to look. So B, I'd love to know a little bit more about how you have dealt with this question, you don't look non-binary, which sounds like a question we get a lot. You don't look sick. Does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> so I'd love to know your experience of dealing with that question, grappling with the assumption of your gender and pronouns based solely on your presentation. For a very long time as an individual, I started to rewrite what my gender and comfort was in my brain. So I needed to kind of compartmentalize what I was feeling in order to survive or live my life. And even just surviving endometriosis because you're going through enough trauma as it is. I actually got more into makeup the more I started to realize that I was non-binary because, and this is very common, and a lot of people talk up in the trans umbrella that they become hyper-feminine in order to perform the sex that they were given at birth because that is what is expected of them. I was a tomboy growing up. I never identified with my gender or what people assumed my gender was. 
And that made it very difficult when I got older and I felt like I constantly was filling this role. So when I'm online, I don't post photos being on the more masculine side because that's not what's expected of me. And I'm if I'm posting more tomboy or masculine photos, are people going to think that I'm an endometriosis advocate? It gets really mixed up. It gets really mixed up with your brand and what you're trying to convey. And it gets very uncomfortable very quickly because there's a lot that's expected of you, especially online. When it comes to how we present as individuals, we don't realize why somebody might be looking a certain way. For me, I have long hair. I have long, beautiful pink hair because I had cancer. So I lost my hair. I lost my eyebrows. So it's really important to me that my hair is long because it makes me feel in control. Same with makeup. One of the reasons that I became a makeup artist on the side in New York City and worked in photo shoots is because I love to express myself in a very creative way. And as a sick individual, as somebody that was fighting extreme chronic pain and fatigue, makeup was a way that I showed up for myself. Makeup was a way that I took control. I was waking up in eight, nine pain, and that's not a lie. And I would put my makeup on. I had a little basket near my bed. And then I would show up one of the top law firms in New York with my makeup on because that was the way that I took control. And when I realized that makeup was engendered was when I saw cisgender male influencers were being accepted for doing makeup and expressing themselves in a creative way. So why couldn't I, as a non-binary individual? That was my wake-up call. That was what I realized that makeup, my hair, or how I present myself doesn't change the gender I identify with. And if I come forward and make that very strong point that I can do my makeup and have long hair and still be a non-binary or a trans individual, then younger individuals within our community are going to feel comfortable as well. And that's really important. I think it's also nice to keep in mind when we're talking about our identities or thinking about how we relate to ourselves, our own communities, is that presentation can be whatever we want it to be. What's considered feminine in one culture may be different in another. What's considered masculine may be personal to us, but not what somebody else who identifies as a man may consider to be masculine. So our presentation is whatever we make it. And our presentation shouldn't lead to assumption about who we are or our identity. The way that we present to the world speaks only about who we are as people and not necessarily what we're conforming to or not conforming to. So I think it's a great reminder that we all have freedom to be who we are. And regardless of how we present, it doesn't mean that assumptions can be placed on us or titles or labels can be placed on us. And that's really great for a community like this who has maybe been misdiagnosed hundreds of times, had labels put on us that don't belong on us, been told that our pain is just anxiety in our heads. We're, is a community familiar with being told that we are things that we are not? And it's important for us to remember that we don't want to do that to people who are also having that same experience in terms of gender in our community. I have an experience as a leader and an endometriosis advocate because I trained uh, very masculinely. Like my leadership skills are very masculine, but my presentation is very feminine. And as a trauma counselor, which is the work I do all the time within the endometriosis community, I have both. It's equal. And I've actually experienced a lot of endometriosis warriors or endometriosis family members tell me that I'm too cold or too masculine, but I'm neither. I'm not masculine or feminine. And that's something that I love about myself is that I'm both and I strive to be both. And I'm learning that it's okay to have these boundaries where you don't allow others to question your own truth. 
I am not comfortable in my own body and I will never be my best self until I accept that there is a reason for that. I want to be brave so that others who feel like me are not feeling unwelcome like I was for a very long time and can feel accepted and seen. And I want you to feel accepted. I want you to feel loved. And I want you to feel like you are part of the endometriosis community. And that's why I came out as non-binary. How we are born is valid and it is enough. And a lot of times with these identities, masculine, feminine, we're told that we're not enough or that we're not feminine enough, we're not masculine enough. But what really matters is that we are who we believe we are and who we feel we are in ourselves. We should be free to express ourselves however we want in grief and trauma and happiness. And endo doesn't care if you're straight, gay, bi, trans, you know, pansexual, which I am, asexual or queer. It destroys the lives it touches. And if we bring change and have health equality, then we will really help all endo patients around the world. B, that was really beautiful what you just said. And I think that is one of the key takeaways of this episode is that everyone in this community is important and enough and valuable. And it's really important to strive to have a community and really to have a world where we can just all be ourselves and not be told that we're not XYZ enough. When you were speaking, you briefly mentioned that you feel uncomfortable in your own body. And I would love if you could speak a little bit further on that. What do you mean by the discomfort that you feel in your body? For as long as I could remember, I have always felt like a soul in a body. So I always felt like my soul was in a vessel and that I didn't agree with the vessel. That became very complicated when I had to go to an expert for excision surgery and when we considered a hysterectomy because I was feeling like I needed to perform the sadness of removing my uterus when for me, it was, am I supposed to be sad that I can't have a child? And on one hand, yes, I am. I have grief that I will not have biological children, but I don't think I would have ever carried a child. And I've discussed this with my now husband that I don't think I would have ever been comfortable with carrying a child that would have been very uncomfortable and traumatic for me because I don't connect with that part of my body. I worried for a very long time that that was wrong, that there was something wrong with me, but there's nothing wrong with me. That's very normal when you fall under the trans umbrella and it is part of our experience. But I've also experienced after I had my ovaries removed, I went from a twig body with like no chest and no womanly curves. I was underweight because I was not eating. And when I started to heal, which is a beautiful thing, and my body started to take in nutrients I started to gain weight. I went from an A cup in my breast size to a C cup. And I was having panic attacks because I don't feel comfortable in this body. And that's when you don't feel comfortable in your body, it's very hard to continue and survive without severe mental stress. Not only am I healing from having stage four endometriosis and healing my nerves and healing my colon, but I'm also healing my soul. And having to perform as a woman and being upset and having grief. My mom actually said to me, you told me that you weren't going to grieve because there were children in the world that you could adopt. The problem was, is that I was 23 years old. I didn't know. I didn't meet my husband. I had that choice taken away from me before I met the love of my life. The first decision that my husband and I ever made together when we were fiance, when we were engaged, was to remove my ovaries. 
And we had 30 minutes to decide because we were at the center of endometriosis care. And we had flew there from Texas and New York. And that is also an extremely traumatic experience when it's tied into all of this body dysmorphia. Along the conversation of body dysmorphia, I think something that's really important for us to remember as people who experience menstruation or the development of our breast tissue or voice changes or are bleeding, like I said, experience menstruation. These things can, for many of us, be repeated until we experience menopause. And just these monthly experiences or daily experiences in the case of developing breasts can be traumatizing for people who are trans or gender nonconforming or non-binary. These things are a further layer. Endometriosis is traumatizing enough and painful enough, but existing in a body where you feel alien to it, where you feel like you have body parts that don't belong to you, that feel like every time you have your period, you're reminded that you're in a body that doesn't quite fit you. Or every time you look down at your chest, you're reminded that there's something there that shouldn't be there that feels like it's foreign to your own body. This is an additional layer of pain and trauma on top of already having the pain and trauma of endometriosis. So it is important to remember why it's so crucial to involve folks that are under the trans umbrella in the conversation is because of these additional points of trauma that as a cisgender person, we may not understand or we may not also be experiencing. I think, B, what you said was really powerful about how with endometriosis after surgery, of course, you were healing your body. But when we have endometriosis, we're also trying to heal our soul. We have so many non-physical wounds that we endure with endometriosis from everything that we've been talking about, the trauma and the gaslighting and the pain and the devastating symptoms and the loss and the grief. And it can be so difficult to find those pieces of our soul and put them back together and try to find a way to feel whole and to no longer feel broken. And for me, I know something that I experienced after I had excision surgery was a lot of confusion in the way that I was feeling. I felt a whole multitude of feelings, everything from gratitude to anger to grief, And I felt utterly overwhelmed in my feelings because I was feeling so many different feelings at once. And I was being very critical and very judgmental with myself saying, no, you should only feel grateful or no, you should only feel happy because you were able to get excision. And I was really almost pushing aside some of the other feelings that I was feeling that I was considering quote unquote negative or quote unquote incorrect. And I think that is something that a lot of us do is that we, as a society, we haven't learned to embrace all of our feelings and we've been taught to run to the quote unquote happy or positive good feelings and ignore, repress, push aside the quote unquote bad feelings. And so I think it's just what you said is important that there's no correct way to feel after you have surgery. There's no correct way to feel having endometriosis. There is a huge spectrum and multitude of feelings that we can have, and we can have them at the same time. And so I just want to thank you for bringing that up. Amy, I want to piggyback a little bit on the term you used of being whole, because I don't feel whole. And when you compound a surgery gaslighting and trauma onto that, 
you're burying that identity underneath it. And there was a period in my life where if I don't have endometriosis, if I'm not in chronic pain, who am I? Because you're pushing everything down in order to survive through this horrific trauma. I also came out of my second excision surgery. I had one with a fellow and one with an expert. And I was extremely confused. I was confused about how I should be feeling. I was confused about my body because surgery is invasive. And I had experience, especially as a non-binary individual who was not out of the closet at the time, I felt violated a lot. And I didn't know who to talk to about it because we're already shushed and we're already shunned when we talk about internal sonograms or pelvic exams. And the idea that something was happening to my body that I had no control over was very difficult. And also, I find it very common for individuals who had excision surgery to have other complications after excision. I experienced that where I lost an extreme amount of weight due to follow-up. And I was re-traumatized having to explain that I wasn't a woman. So B, I'd love to know a little bit more about your story of realizing your truth and who you are. I'd love for you to talk about when you realized that you were non-binary, when that term kind of hit for you, when you realized that that fit you and that helped give voice to your identity and what that experience was like. And when you came out as non-binary, what that experience was like. I realized that I wasn't a woman during puberty. And I had experiences where people identified me by my breasts and I felt very uncomfortable, but I didn't really understand the term non-binary until I was actually out of college because there wasn't a lot of representation. I didn't come out as non-binary to the people I love until I was about 28, 29, and I'm 30 now. And I just came out to the endometriosis community in March, 2021. I think it's really wonderful that you were able to come into your identity and feel comfortable to share your identity with people and ultimately with our entire community. I think that's a really brave move and it's hard to be your authentic self in some spaces sometimes. And for some folks in the trans community, it's a really long battle to be their authentic selves and not all spaces are safe for us to be who we are. So I can assume from my own experiences that it's not always easy to come out in these spaces and it's not always easy to come out, particularly when it comes to medical experiences that deal with body parts that are categorized as female. So I'd love to know more about your experience and understanding of what it's like to be non-binary in the medical system and how it relates to getting adequate care. I do want to start off by saying that I spent the last five years working in a genetics laboratory. And one of the reasons that I felt so comfortable with using my now chosen name, B, is because my boss used my chosen name, B, because he saw me as who I was and not what society saw me as. And that made me feel comfortable to kind of explore a lot of what I'm about to say. So I was really nervous to share this in a more public light because I didn't want to face discrimination. In the endometriosis community, we already experience abuse and medical gaslighting. And when I did start to share that I was non-binary with my doctors, I saw that there was an increased risk of abuse. Also, the representation that I was seeing for the first time within the endo community within the last three years were sharing the traumas they had gone through and that it scared me a little bit. 
So seeing other individuals who are under the trans umbrella come out and explain the traumas they've been through while validating also scared me because I became extremely aware, especially as a patient advocate in hospitals in New York City and in the ER, that we have a very gendered system and very aware as an advocate that there's a limited access to femme specialists or women health specialists in general. You know, less than 1% of doctors are perform excision. So now I'm going to tell them that I'm not female. That's confusing for me. It's confusing for the doctor. Also, physicians are often not educated in LGBTQA rights or queer rights, and they're not educated in how that can be very difficult or how to approach it. When I told a doctor in between my excision surgeries that I was non-binary, they kind of just like didn't care and kept on identifying me as a woman, which is extremely traumatizing because now they're not even trying. They're not listening to what I said, and that adds another layer of trauma. I've heard other people in the LGBTQIA2S plus community speak about the insensitivity of their doctor, not only complete ignorance, but then crossing the line to abusive or gaslighting, dismissive, outright making comments, jokes, laughing, and it's completely inappropriate. And those fears are completely real. It's shocking. It's disappointing. It's heartbreaking but it's not unreal. There are experiences that truly happen every single day, discrimination, racism, biases that are explicit or implicit, causing extreme harm to the patients because of the doctor's careless, inadvertent, or even advertent language and communication that they use with the patients. And frankly, it's disgusting. But I think we really need to hold space for the fact that going to the doctor as someone who is queer or non-binary or trans or a person of color or Black or Indigenous or someone who holds any of these additional identities that historically have been marginalized, it just compounds these lived experiences of trauma in addition to having endometriosis and symptoms and excruciating periods and bowel movements where you're screaming and periods where you're writhing on the floor. So B, thank you for opening up and sharing all of this because it can't be easy to talk about a lot of these experiences. It can't be easy to have lived many of them. So thank you for sharing so openly today. The system is already stacked against us with endometriosis. So when you get the trans umbrella, there is already lack of surgery codes for excision surgery, the gold standard of care. Access to care with endometriosis is already limited. Many members of the community are already aware of that, but we don't stop to think about how an individual's legal sex, either in their legal documents or their driver's license, will affect if they can get treatment or not, because in certain states or even counties, surgeons are not allowed to perform surgery or even just excision surgery on individuals that aren't female. We heard this from Dr. Who is in Texas at the endometriosis summit. So as an individual, even though I was aware that I was non-binary and part of the community in my early 20s, I was also aware as somebody that works in medicine that if I changed my gender identity, that it would make my access to care very difficult. So I was carrying the weight of having the wrong gender identity in order to not be traumatized with a disease like endometriosis. And that's a lot to carry as one individual. One of the reasons that I came out as non-binary 
is because I wanted to make sure that young individuals that are under the trans umbrella or part of the LGBTQA community knew that there are advocates and leaders that see them and represent them. And that's why I fight as a member of the community to be seen. So B, what do you think as a community and as individuals who belong to this endometriosis community, what do you think that we can do in order to ensure that how we talk and how we communicate with each other is inclusive and making sure that we're intentional in the language that we use and the way we discuss our symptoms and our disease can make sure that we're including everybody with endometriosis in those conversations. What do you think some things that we can do to ensure that that happens? Some actions that we can take as a community starts with holding space. And when we hold space for individuals that are not the same as us or to be inclusive, we make people comfortable. So one way we can do that is like we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast is to use your pronouns in your social media platforms And even if you are a cisgendered individual, this helps it be normal and it helps other people be seen. So if you want to support the trans umbrella of individuals or non-binary endometriosis advocates like me, putting your pronouns in the profile is really important. If you don't know what your pronouns are or if saying that makes you feel uncomfortable, which I have seen some people are like, I'm a soul in a body too. That's okay. Just do what makes you feel comfortable. There's no pressure here. Another way that we can really begin to change this narrative for endometriosis is to change our terms. Now, people with uteruses can be a little harmful, and I know that we're trying to be inclusive, but we need to include everybody, which means people without uteruses. So when we're talking about younger individuals or quote-unquote girls that have endometriosis, we want to make sure that we're extremely inclusive and say people Endometriosis is a full body disease. It is not a reproductive disease. So when we make it about quote unquote girls, we're leaving out an entire category of people in our community. So yes, when individuals go through menstruation, we can talk about that because that is very important. It is a key factor. Just because you have a period doesn't mean that you have endometriosis. And just because you have endometriosis doesn't mean that you still experience a period, just like those of us who are in menopause after surgical intervention. That's why using gendered language is not appropriate because it doesn't include the entire community. And when we build a community, we want to make sure that everyone is involved and that we start involving everybody young. I think that it is okay to identify yourself as an endo sister or an endo girl because that is in your power and that's what we're speaking about. We're speaking about the power of our identity. But when it comes to identifying others, we should not be making assumptions. So when we're identifying others, we should be saying siblings or family or warriors. And that's extremely important because we want to make sure that they get to identify who they are. And we have to keep in mind that when we get our period, we might not know what our identity is. B, I really like the way that you advocate for endometriosis in general. You are the main patient advocate, which is a phenomenal character that you do. You write your own lyrics to music about endometriosis, like these raps and these short songs. And it is really, really powerful. And it's often about the gaslighting that we face as patients with the doctor. And they are really good and powerful. 
And something that I really like that you do on Instagram is at the end of all of your posts, you just put a short little sentence that says, please try not to use hashtag endo girls, hashtag endo sisters, because not all of us identify as women. And I think that it's just a really gentle way to keep putting that knowledge and that reminder out there that not everyone with endometriosis identifies as a girl or as a woman. In our effort to show that we want to support someone else, if we say, oh, hey, be my endo sister, by calling be our endo sister, we're saying, hey, we're one, you know, we get each other, but actually B's not a sister. B is a sibling. And so actually what we're doing is isolating B and other people in the trans umbrella. I also think this has to do with respect. And we need to remember that we want to respect each and every one of us because we want respect given. And that goes back to the gaslighting that we feel. We want to make sure everybody is seen. So when I'm the mean patient advocate on TikTok or on Instagram and I'm playing that character and somebody says, thank you, Endo Sister, for seeing me. I understand in that moment that it's not really about my gender. It's about them being seen by the story I'm telling. Because some of these videos that I'm making are going viral. They're getting hundreds of thousands of views or over half a million views. And people are just really excited. And I'm aware of that. And I'm aware that I am femme presenting. And that's where it comes into play that I think I could play a powerful role in reminding people that it is okay to be excited and to be seen and that we can do this over time, and we can do this slowly, and we can do this in a gentle and kind way. But also to recognize that maybe some of our trans and non-binary individuals don't want it to be gentle. And I know that that's very difficult to understand, but do know that the leaders that are coming out and speaking about this, like me, are here for you, and we're here to listen and to help. I am truly honored when an individual in the community comes to me and says, I would like to make my organization name more inclusive. Can you help me? Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me and thank you for including me because something I feel really strongly about is making sure that we don't use gender terms when we create organizations or groups. That way that everybody in the community feels included and this might be small to some but it is large to others and it will help us in the right direction. Before we end today, I want to thank you, B, for coming onto our podcast and spending time with us and sharing yourself with us. It can be really vulnerable to talk about having a disease like endometriosis where we already feel guilt and shame that's placed upon us by our society and by people in the medical community. And on top of that, speaking about having an identity that is largely misrepresented or misunderstood or dismissed by our typical society or by the majority can be another layer of vulnerability that some may not be ready to talk about. Some may just be exploring for the very first time, or some may be trying to understand better. So I want to thank you for taking the time to share that part of us with you. It's not easy to talk about our true deepest inner selves, especially when those inner selves are marginalized in our society or told that they're not real or they're not true. So I want to thank you for that. I also want to encourage all of our listeners, if this is something that you are learning about for the first time, trying to understand better or deeper, 
certainly we recommend to give B a follow on Instagram. And if you have TikTok, definitely there as well. But this can be a really great way to start understanding the experiences of those that may be different from us. It's a really great way to diversify our feeds and the content that we consume by following trans individuals with endometriosis, non-binary folks with endo, BIPOC people with endo, to understand the diverse experiences that our community has. And by understanding the diverse experiences that our community has, we can then learn how to love each other in the ways that we need, in the ways that we're lacking. Because all of our identities means that we have experiences that are different. When I go to the doctor with my identities is going to be different than when B goes with their identities, than when somebody else goes with their identities. So understanding that all of these aspects make us who we are and also make up our trauma experience, we can then better know how to support each other as a community, support each other as individuals. It's important for us to be as inclusive as possible in our community because we know how exclusive our medical care already is for people like us. Diverse experiences aren't trendy. They're not new. These experiences have been happening for hundreds of years. And this is why it's important for us to take into account these diverse experiences when it comes to our community. If we don't, we risk further perpetuating harm on folks that we don't want to further harm. Nobody in our community wants to harm each other. We know that. Everyone in our endo community wants to support each other but we can unintentionally further harm each other if we're not paying attention to the language we're using, if we're not being intentional, and if we're not making an effort in order to make sure that every single person with endo is included in all of the conversations that we're having. And that's why this conversation is so important to have. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am truly honored to be a guest on this podcast. I find that being an endometriosis advocate is one of the biggest highlights of my life to be able to make sure that other people's truths are heard and seen. And that's why it's extremely important that I'm brave today and share my own truth because it is an individual trauma, but it's shared by many people. And so if I can come here and share how I've been feeling and all that I've been through and make sure that everybody in the community is included, Speaking about this may be really difficult, and it is very difficult for me to speak about this very vulnerable situation and how I've been feeling over the years. But if speaking about it allows other people to not face it or have limited trauma in relation to their identity and how they express themselves in the endometriosis community, then it's worth it. And I push anybody who's feeling that they don't belong to know that you are loved, you are accepted, and you belong here in this community. And that there are people like me, so many people like me, who want you here and who will fight for you to be here and get the access to care that you deserve and the love that you deserve. B, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We have really, really enjoyed speaking with you and through your experiences and through the knowledge that you shared with us today. I've definitely learned a lot about how to be more inclusive and why inclusivity is important in the first place. So thank you so much for spending this time with us today. It was really lovely to see you face to face and speak to you and hear your voice and be here with you. 